Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. If you're local to the San Francisco Bay Area, UP Academy, our progressive elementary school, is now enrolling for fall of 2022. So welcome Rebel Educators to this episode of the Rebel Educator Podcast. I'm here today with Tony DeRose. Tony is the Chief Content Officer at X in a Box. He's a former senior scientist at Pixar Studios and former professor at the University of Washington. X in a Box works with innovative companies to create world-class lessons that connect the classroom to the real world. Their team is committed to working towards an equitable education system that provides opportunity for all. It began with Pixar in a Box and now offers lessons in science and art, math, engineering, writing and communication, design, and computer science. Welcome, Tony. I'm excited to hear more. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. How did the idea for X in a Box begin? Can you share a little of the journey from, you know, what was Pixar in a Box to the current organization that you have now? Yeah. So, you know, as you mentioned, I was at Pixar for a long time. Most of my time there was spent running the, the graphics research group. So a group of mostly PhDs doing algorithm design for upcoming films. So trying to solve problems ahead of the, the film being produced. So I've always been a, you know, kind of researcher, computer science, mathematics kind of person. And then having been at the University of Washington and been in education, I've always loved to teach. And then as my kids were getting a little older, I started to get more interested in K-12 education and uh, started doing some outreach, giving public lectures. The most popular one was a lecture I, I called Math in the Movies, which kind of pulled back the covers a little bit and showed the degree to which math and science was used in the production of Pixar films. So people were you know, really fascinated by that. They had no idea that algebra and calculus and topics like that had anything to do with filmmaking at Pixar, but it turns out they're crucial. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that too. Actually, as you're talking about the algorithms for design and, and how you create what happens on the screen, and I'm picturing in my brain like some of the movies I've seen and thinking how that could have been created mathematically. <laughs> Right. Yeah, maybe we can circle back to that after I sort of give yeah, a yeah. thumbnail sketch of the, the history here of my path. Often at the end of that talk, the Mass of the Movies talk, people would ask for copies of the slides and, you know, can can you come talk to my class? And of course, I would love to do all that, but there's only only one of me <laughs> and I couldn't be everywhere. So from that time, I started talking with Elise Clydman at Pixar, who was the head of Pixar University, the internal Pixar education organization. And she also ran the exhibitions program. So we started talking maybe around 2012 or so to try to understand what we might be able to do as, as Pixar to kind of get that story out there in a larger scale way. So in 2014, I took a sabbatical from my research position and spent the year trying to figure out how to answer that question. How can we do some outreach? So we approached Khan Academy, realizing that we were experts at filmmakers and all the mathematical techniques, but we didn't know a lot about online education. 
but Khan Academy did. And so we approached them to see if we could collaborate somehow. And they said, yeah, that'd be great. And the third leg of this tripod is the corporate responsibility department. Disney said, yeah, we'll fund it. So that was the beginning of what became Pixar in a Box, which is now 30 lessons, all free on Khan Academy, covering everything from how stories get created, which at its core is writing and communication and collaboration and feedback through to early production, which is, you know, creating the geometric models for the characters and then instrumenting those characters so that they can move. And then finally creating the beautiful pixels that make up the images of the final films. And there's math and science and engineering at each of those stages. And so Pixar in a box really tells that story from start to finish. First set of materials was released in 2015 and it's been very popular. There are a couple hundred thousand visitors a month. And wow. and that has stayed even. It hasn't fallen off during the early parts of COVID. It really exploded as well. So that was successful enough that we got additional funding for Imagineering in a Box, which really took you behind the scenes at Disney Imagineering. They're the folks that design and build all the wonderful attractions in the Disney theme parks. So that was a chance to kind of leave the world of computer graphics and start talking about the physical world and mechanical engineering and civil engineering and and architecture, but all coupled with art and storytelling and uh, visual design. And that's one of the things that we really try to get across in these materials is how multidisciplinary most things in the real world are. And so, you know, we try to really capture that multidisciplinary nature and We've also, you know, gradually discovered how important it is, you know, for students not just to be passive learners, but also to be active, to get in and do something. And so we ask ourselves early on in a project, you know, what is it that students are going to do? We want to find a project for them to really use the ideas that they're hearing about, put them to work in service of something they're interested in. And that kind of engagement really leads to some amazing learning. And then we saw backwards from there to figure out, okay, what's the minimal amount of telling that we need to do to get the students to be successful in doing that thing? So, you know, activate them as quickly as possible. So those are some of the, the principles and techniques that we developed during the Pixar in a Box and Imagineering in a Box development. And then in uh, early 2019, Elise and I decided that, you know, we wanted to continue to do this kind of work. So we left Pixar and founded our own little company, X in a Box. The X stands for companies or organizations that have an interesting story to tell. So since spinning out, we've worked with Epic Games on a series of lessons. We've worked with Adobe, worked with the XQ Institute, which is one of Lorraine Powell Jobs's uh, organization. And those basic ideas that we brought to bear in Pixar Box and Imagineering Box, the project-based experiential learning is a thread that runs through everything. Excellent. So when you're talking about some of the other ones, like looking at gaming and Epic Games, is that the same sort of setup where you kind of go through what it would be like to be a game designer from a project-based perspective? Uh, It's closely related. So Epic, they make uh, Unreal Engine, which is their free real-time platform. And so what they wanted us to do is tell the story of how Real-time 3D and Unreal Engine is a set of tools that are much broader than just for game. 
So Unreal is being used in the advertising industry. It's being used in the fashion industry. It's being used in medicine, engineering. And so with Epic, we've been working on a series of lessons that looks at, at a bunch of different industries. And each lesson then is a, a deeper dive into that industry and how Interactive 3D and Unreal Engine are being used to really transform how that industry does business. So we released the first lesson on the advertising industry mid last year. We're just about to release the second lesson that talks about the fashion industry and the many ways that Interactive 3D is being used there. And we're in pre-production on a lesson on how Interactive 3D is changing the animation entertainment business. Is there Unreal Engine open source? Can anyone use that and play with it? Yeah, it's open source. It's free. Anybody can download it and, and use it. So along with us just talking about how Unreal is being used in fashion or advertising, there's a hands-on project that goes along with the lesson. And so students are encouraged to download the starting point project. And then we have some nice tutorial videos that walk students step-by-step -step through the construction of something that's very authentically related to the industry that was highlighted and also provides an opportunity for students to bring their own creative interests to bear and hopefully use those projects as kind of an early stepping stone, opening the door to the world of Unreal. And there's all sorts of amazing tutorial content out there, again, all for free. While students, either many students don't know about those opportunities, for some students, it can be kind of daunting and there's so much. And so we provide a kind of an easy on-ramp to all those amazing capabilities. Yeah, that's me. I'm the student who finds it kind of daunting. There's all these things out there and what do I do with it? Where do I start? How do I learn this? What can it do? <laughs> right. So our lessons with Epic are kind of designed to get people from knowing absolutely nothing about interactive 3D or Unreal to the point where, you know, they're maybe, you know, 15, 20% fluent and that's enough to really continue the learning journey through all the other materials that are out there. So you talked about, you know, working with the projects and how the real world is really multidisciplinary and bringing in multidisciplinary facets to the things that you're creating and working with active learners, getting them doing things and really starting with the end in mind. Like what can they create with this and what pieces do they need to get them there through this active learning process, which is a lot of what we talk about in progressive education and with project-based learning and a lot of the education chatter right now around reimagining education and what that looks like. So what are your vision and goals for working with education or where do you see education going? The direction I'd like to see education go is the direction that everybody else we've talked to that really thinks deeply about this question. Everybody comes to the same answer. <laughs> it should be experiential. It should be child-driven. It should be open-ended. It should be collaborative. There's very little disagreement about what the answer is. The question is really, how do we get there in a really large-scale way? And so at X in the Box, that's constantly what we're asking ourselves is, how can we accelerate this movement toward really authentic you know, experiential learning? So one thing that we're doing now is, well, in the past, what I've talked about is really the work that we've done to create a bunch of free resources open to anybody, you know, really designed for individuals or small groups, kind of working at their own pace, you know, no deadlines, no expectations. We've just completed a first pilot and are about to launch into a second pilot program with Pixar to create a community experience on top of those resources. 
And so we ran an eight-week online workshop that started in October and wrapped in December around the art of storytelling. We walked students through the story development process as practiced at Pixar. So students come in knowing nothing in week one and by week eight, they've developed a story reel, which is a crude video form of an original story that they created in a small team. So each week has a regular rhythm. Every Friday, there's a deadline. There's a deliverable that's expected. On Mondays, we have a live session that features one or several Pixar artists that are expert in whatever the topic for that week is. So in week one, we talk about what if statements. What if toys came to life when humans left the room? What if there was an overprotective fish whose son ran away from home? And that's really the starting point for many of the Pixar stories. So on Mondays, we have the, the live streams with the Pixar artists. There's opportunity for students to ask questions of the artists. And then the students work in teams of typically two to four students, each team, independently during the week. They upload their deliverable on Friday. Then on Monday, after we moderate everything, they're expected to provide feedback to at least six other teams. So everybody's giving and receiving feedback through this whole process, there's a regular rhythm and the whole process culminates with a, basically an online film festival where students, uh, where student teams can you know, feature their work. I can provide a link to the online film festival that came out. And the stories are, are just wonderful. Most of the students worked in the context of a classroom. And so they had a facilitator, which is typically a teacher that would sort of help guide them through this process. But Really, most of the learning happened in the live stream, and then a lot of the content that we repurposed from Pixar in a box to deepen the, the learning of the relevant concepts each week. So is this a program that you're going to start offering to schools and offer more widely? I know you mentioned it was a pilot right now. Yeah, we knew we'd get a bunch of stuff wrong the first time, so we limited it to 200 teams. Wow. That's a big limit. <laughs> and we ended up with a 150 teams actually registered and working. And we're going to open up registration to a much larger degree. So yeah, get the word out there. You know, we're excited to attract as many teams as we can this time. One of the things we heard from students is how motivating it was to know that when they uploaded their work on Friday, teams from all over the country are going to be looking at their work and commenting. And so it's like the real world, right? You put your work out there, you get feedback, you adapt and iterate. And, you know, the ideas just got better and better and more proficient in a variety of directions through the program. There's some art instruction, there's some film grammar, including shot choices. You know, is this going to be a close-up? Is this going to be, you know, an establishing shot? So students are really exposed to, you know, lots of different aspects of filmmaking and storytelling. And what age group are you working with? Is this open to everyone or is this skewing a little older? We're going to run two cohorts this time. Uh, last time it was 13 to 18. This time we're going to run again the 13 to 18 year old cohort. And then in addition, we'll be running an adult version. So primarily targeted at young adults and educators. Hope it did. Hope it did anyway. You just crushed my dreams for my 11 year olds. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, with online legal requirements, going below 13 is pretty difficult. But we should be even bigger and stronger when they get to be 13. Absolutely. So what are you most excited about for the coming year? 
Well, we call these experientials. And so this one with Pixar is story experiential. And we feel like the model we've developed is really applicable to basically any other domain, engineering, science, mathematics, entrepreneurship, finance, music production. And so we're excited to start experimenting with this basic model in at least one other discipline. And we kind of feel like this is a model for online education 2.0, if you will. 1.0 online education was as represented by like Coursera and Udacity and places like that was really taking lectures as they would be delivered in a classroom and videotaping them and putting them up online and then, you know, having some worksheets that students were expected to work through. And that scales really well, but completion rates are not very high typically. And the students lose motivation after a while. And so what we're doing with the experiential model is bringing a community together to work with each other to make everybody's work better. And so we scale by having students providing feedback to other students. So the bigger it gets, the more exciting it gets as well, because there are more people to give and receive feedback from. Yeah. I want to take your classes. (laughs) You're more than welcome to so how can people get in touch? How can they learn more about you? Where should they go to find out about your classes and anything else that you have coming up? Uh, well, the best place is to go to the Experiential website. So it's storyexperiential.com. Leave the E off Experiential. Or they can go to our company website, which is xiab.org, xinabox.org. Uh, they can sign up for the waiting list. They can sign up for our newsletter. Well, I love to end by hearing a story from your elementary school years, since I founded an elementary school and I love to kind of see what people remember from that time in their life. So can you share a story from elementary school that you remember? I'm going to cheat a little bit if it's okay and tell a story from seventh grade, (laughs) which, which is perfectly applicable to sixth grade as well. And that is, I grew up in the age of Apollo. And so I've always been fascinated by space travel and astronauts and science and engine and all that stuff. So I was really into building model rockets, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And then in seventh grade, I had a really wonderful science teacher who showed me that I could use a kind of mathematics called trigonometry to figure out how high the rockets were going. And I just thought that was amazing, that you could do something like that. You didn't have to get a ladder and a measuring tape and try to climb several hundred feet, that you can actually use your mind to solve a problem like that. And that was really the beginning of falling in love with mathematics. And that teacher took a lot of time with me after school. This was totally extracurricular. And I think that's how education should be all the time, every day for every student. It was something I was passionate about. It ignited a love that it's still with me today. I was using my hands. I was using my brain. I was using my personal interests. And so... That's what we're trying to do for as many students as we possibly can. Growing up as a kid, I used to always get up early and try and watch the space shuttle take off because they all used to be televised every time there was a launch. It was still so new and exciting. And I remember just loving that so much that I'd get up, which I was never a morning person. So it was a big deal for me to get up at like 6 a.m. and (laughs) watch a space shuttle launch. But it was always really exciting. But that comes back a little bit to, you know, where we started sort of with algorithms for design and how math is incorporated into all of the animation 
and all of the beautiful things that we see on the screen. Yeah, at a high level, math is kind of the only thing involved in making a computer graphics film in the sense that all the input to the filmmaking process is keystrokes and mouse movements and mouse clicks. And so that's data, and that data is represented by numbers. And on the other end, the images that are displayed in the theater, well, each of those images is a big grid of pixels, and each pixel is really three numbers. It's how much red, how much green, and how much blue is present in that pixel. And so it's numbers on input and numbers on output. So about all you can do in the middle is mathematics to transform those inputs to those outputs. That mathematics takes many different forms, calculus, algebra, geometry, trigonometry. Those are the most heavily relied upon branches of mathematics. So pretty much anything you can learn in mathematics through high school is used all the time, every day in the making of the films. I will never look at an animated movie the same way again. <laughs> you know, I picture artists drawing beautiful things and making creations and, you know, the big art boards and those. But I, yeah, had never thought about all of the background and the programming and each individual pixel that has to be created. And the artists are there. They're making a lot of wonderful drawings, but most of those drawings are really for uh, conceptual design. And then at some point, the drawings get turned into three-dimensional graphics objects. You know, take the world of the dead, for instance, from Coco. You know, there are you know, lots of gorgeous drawings of what the production designer, you know, had in mind for the look and feel of the city of the dead. But then the 3D artists actually had to build the city. And so it's a three-dimensional model that you, you can fly through. And that's where the film takes place is in that three-dimensional model. Oh, yeah, that film was beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for sharing your journey for sharing your insights into the world of math. This has been great. Thanks so much for your time, Tony. You're welcome. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. I'd invite you to check out rebeleducator.com, where you can see all of our upcoming workshops, webinars, and professional development opportunities. Upacademysf.com, where you can see our current progressive elementary school in action. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Keep resisting tradition, Rebel Educators.